Vader motivation. So to really aspire for bodhicitta, to become a Buddha for the benefit of sentient beings, we have to have a humble and sincere mind. When our mind is full of arrogance, and we think we know a lot, then we're not going to learn anything. So it's important to approach the Dharma as a sick person who is going to the doctor. And then when the doctor gives us medicine, to take it. And one of the first medicines that we really need to take is fortitude or patience because anger is the most dangerous to us, I think, at the beginning of the path. Of course, anger depends on attachment, which depends on ignorance. But unlike ignorance and attachment, the anger not only creates non-virtuous karma, but it destroys the virtuous karma we've created. Now, if we're filled with arrogance, then we don't even recognize our anger, or we rationalize it away. And whatever we try and do to defend our self-grasping, defend the self-centered thought, the more we actually harm ourselves. So let's have that humble attitude that openly acknowledges what our habitual mental states are and knows we can improve and wants to improve. So with that kind of motivation and determination, then we'll generate bodhicitta. Even though it's contrived, it's still quite marvelous. And share the teachings this morning with that kind of motivation.
So we can see that anger and arrogance are good friends. Yeah. Uh, One way you can see it is when we're angry, we are clearly right and others are wrong. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be angry if we weren't right. Yeah. If we were wrong, there's nothing to be mad at. Yeah. So we're right in that mind that says, I'm right, they're wrong. Yeah. It's an angry mind, but it's also mixed in with arrogance. Yeah. Because I would never be wrong. I am always right. Right? (laughs) Okay. So, uh, you know, for this chapter that we're doing now on fortitude to have any effect on our mind, we have to admit that we have anger. If we don't think we have anger, and when I use the word anger, it includes irritation, aggravation, um, spite, grudges, resentment, jealousy, uh, rage, uh, belligerence. You can go on and on, you know. Um, but it includes many different kinds of uh, attitudes uh, that all share the common basis of exaggerating the negative qualities of someone or something and then wanting to destroy it or get away from it. So we have to admit that's in our mind, yeah? Otherwise, these teachings aren't going to have any effect on us, yeah? Because we're going to say, oh, that's that's solved, that's no problem for me. And just wait. Because <laughs> surely, if you are a sentient being, you will encounter some situation that you don't like. Okay. And when our mind is unhappy, remember what he said at the beginning of the uh, chapter, that unhappiness is the fuel of that anger relies on. Yeah. So, you know, if we find ourselves unhappy, then maybe we have to see if there's some anger in there. And acknowledging that, you know, kind of hurts our arrogance. Which is good. When our arrogance is hurt, that's good. Okay, so here we are again. We've endured 98 verses so far attacking our our, uh, anger, you know, with its arrogance, with its self-centeredness. Yeah. And we're back for more. And Shantideva is going to give us more. Yeah. Okay, so... Let me review the last uh, verses. So 97, he says, Therefore, the happiness that arises from thinking I am being praised is invalid. It is only the behavior of a child. 
What in the world is he talking about? Why is the happiness I get from being praised invalid? Why is that childish? Yeah, first of all, I am great and they're just recognizing it. So what's, you know, invalid about that? And second of all, their, their praise actually helps me. When I don't feel good about myself, then their praise is encouragement. It tells me that really, after all, I am good. And I can do so much. So, you know, their, their praise is like medicine for all the times that I get put down and that I put myself down. Yeah, so what's invalid about a little medicine? Okay. And also, when I'm praised, the people who praise me, they feel happy. So why shouldn't I rejoice in their happiness and feel happy too? Yeah. Why not? What's wrong with feeling happy? They feel happy when they praise me. I feel happy getting the praise. This world is so full of suffering. What's wrong with a little bit of praise? Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Of course, those same people should not praise the people that I'm competing with. And they should not praise the people who are better than me. And they should not praise my enemies. Yeah, that, that's foregone. I shouldn't even have to say that. Yeah, I'm the one who is deserving of the praise. And then the last sentence is, it is only the behavior of a child. Oh, Okay, so watch that when you get praised. Okay, then 98, he's going to hit us again with the disadvantages of praise. Praise and so forth. The so forth means approval. Yeah, being recognized, being acknowledged, being appreciated, being loved. Okay. Praise and so forth distract me. No. Praise and so forth encourage me to practice the Dharma more. Really? Do they distract you when you get praised? Does it harm your practice? Yeah, why does it harm your practice? How does it harm your practice? For the... It's like a drug, and I get all giddy, and then I don't need to practice. Yeah. There's no need for that. Yeah. It really is like that. You know, because if all these people think we're so great, then we don't need to practice because we're already great and we can sit there and get giddy and rejoice at how great we are yeah okay 
praise and so forth distract me and also undermine my disillusionment with cyclic existence. Yeah? Do they do that? Yeah? How does that happen? Well, I think happiness is possible in samsara because mm. it's clearly right there and oh, it feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing wrong with samsara. Why should, yeah, why should I give up samsara? It's, it brings me happiness. Okay. Okay. So they distract, praise and so forth, distracts me. It undermines my disillusionment with samsara. Third disadvantage, I start to envy those who have good qualities. Oh. Do you do that when you get praised? Do you start to envy people, other people who have good qualities? Because now you have to compete them, compete with them. Because now that your wonderful qualities have been acknowledged, yeah, you have to compete with other people who are praised. Yeah, and we envy them. When, you know, some, they got praised before us, they get praised more than we do. Yeah, that's painful. Okay, and he sums it up in the last line. And all the very best is destroyed. And we're going, but, 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 praise and, appre- and approval, they feel so good. How could they destroy all the very best? Yeah. Because they, they are so deceptive. Yeah. And really feed what you called it as an, an addiction. They really feed that because of our inability to evaluate ourselves. Yeah, acknowledge our weaknesses, acknowledge our good qualities, yeah, then um, we remain totally at the mercy of other people's comments to feel good about ourselves or to trust our own perception or anything. You know, we're just like, I, I I don't know what to think. I don't know who I am. I don't know whether to trust what I'm thinking. I don't know if this is good or bad. Please tell me. Please praise me, you know, and then I'll know. Mm-hmm. Of course, if people criticize us, then we'll also know. But we don't want... It to come in the form of criticism. We want it to, you know, it to come in the form of praise. And of course, we never have too much. Never. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, I don't think any of you have this problem, but it's like on Facebook, you want more and more and more friends. You know, because the more people click this thing, the better you think you are. Yeah. What does clicking this have anything to do with who you are as a human being? Yeah. It has nothing to do. 
It's just somebody clicking stuff. But then we feel... Yeah? Okay. So, (laughs) he gave it to us in that verse. But it's good, yeah? And also when we get praised... We, get, we can get very, very complacent. Yeah. Oh, people think I'm a good practitioner. Oh, so I must be. So I'll just kind of coast along the way I am. Yeah, because I'm almost there. Yeah. I don't have much samsara to give up because people are already telling me I'm a bodhisattva. You know, I share a piece of chocolate cake with them and all of a sudden they think I'm a bodhisattva. So I must be. Because a lot of people tell me I am. Because I have a lot of chocolate cake to share. (laughs) Okay, 99. Therefore are not those who are closely involved in destroying my praise and the like, my approval and appreciation and so forth, are not those people who are closely involved in destroying my praise and the like also involved in protecting me from falling into the unfortunate realms? Okay, how does that work? The people who praise us, we get complacent, we think we're great, we don't practice. Yeah, so we don't purify previously created negativities. We continue to create more and more non-virtue and never think of purifying it because some people even praise our non-virtue. Yeah, and if you look at what's happening now in this country, people get praised for incredible acts of non-virtue. Yeah, for lying to the public, then they get praised. Yeah, for making up their own truth, for, uh, you know, uh, exploiting people. We're doing all sorts of negative activities. They get praised. Yeah. So it's easy to think that that praise is going to help me. But actually, it just creates more and more negative karma. So the people who who don't praise me, who destroy my praise and my reputation and who don't approve of me, from the Buddhist viewpoint, they're actually protecting me from creating this horrible negative karma, and thus they're protecting me from falling into the lower realms by this karma, the negative karma ripening. Yeah, do you see how how it, it follows, how it goes there? Okay, so if these people are protecting me from falling into the lower realms, aren't they my friends? Aren't they the people who benefit me? Whereas the people who praise me, 
are the ones who keep me stuck in samsara. So the fact that we like the people who praise us and don't like the people who destroy our praise or who criticize us, the fact that we think like that shows just how deluded we are. You know, because we can't recognize what help is and what harm is. And we think the help people give us in criticizing us is harm. And we think that the harm they give us by praising us is help. Okay, is is this clear? I mean, Shanti Devas ex- explaining the logic of it and how it works. And it's completely different from the way we've been taught. And it's completely different from the way worldly people think. Okay, and we're trying to do our best to stop being a worldly person. Yeah, so we first have to just understand how these arguments work and then really contemplate them and see their truth. To see their truth we have to completely reform our priorities and values. Okay? Because as long as we hold on to worldly values and priority, worldly priorities, then what we think is helpful and what we think is harmful remain the same. But when we have a Buddhist viewpoint, and we're realizing that that the the qualities that we need to create to become a Buddha are the opposite of what society and people in general value or think is good for for you. You know, we're we're swimming upstream. Okay, so that's why they say. We should look, we should respect the words of the wise, yeah, who have the kind of values that are looking beyond the happiness of this life, but not to take to heart the comments of worldly people whose, whose value system, who what they think is good and bad is completely capovolto, upside down. Yeah. So think about it. Hmm? Uh-huh. So it's a, being a Buddhist practitioner is a very interesting position because on the one hand, you question everything society tells you. Yeah. And you find a lot of it is rubbish. And you have to reformat your your value system and what you think is is you know what your aims in life are you have to reformulate those and how you're going to actualize them and what benefits uh, help you to actualize it what harms harms you from actualizing it we have to really think about all of that stuff not just intellectually but really get it in here in our hearts yeah. And at the same time, yeah, as we reject 
the misery of cyclic existence, and we don't want to be reborn in cyclic existence, we still must cultivate the appreciation of sentient beings for their kindness to us. So we can appreciate their kindness, but that doesn't mean we believe and take to heart everything they say. Okay? So you see, we have to discriminate what is kindness and and appreciate their kindness because we can't stay alive without other sentient beings. Okay? And we can't get enlightened without other sentient beings. But we have to be able to differentiate their kindness and how they help us from how they harm us. Yeah, and it's not that the sentient beings themselves are harmful, it's the way they think, it's their ignorant thoughts, it's their anger and and jealousy and attachment that are harmful, not the sentient beings. So you, so you see, there's a lot of things we have to really readjust in how we think in order to be Buddhist practitioners. And you think you got it kind of readjusted, and then you notice more layers of it. Yeah? And now you really have to keep cleaning away more layers of it and, and really change you know, how we're looking at things. And that's why they say that monastics, anyway, are like white crows. How often do you see white crows? Yeah. And when you do see a white crow, they're oddballs. Yeah. Why aren't you black like all the other crows? What's wrong with you? And you're swimming against, you know, you're swimming against the flow of the river. And again, people are saying, but why, why are you swimming upstream? Just go downstream. It's so much easier. It's so much nicer. Why are you making your life so hard? Yeah? Have, have any of your relatives ever said that to you? Yeah? I've heard that. You're making your life so hard. Why don't you just relax and appreciate everything life has to offer you? Well, actually, because that's dangerous. (laughs) Okay. Therefore are not those who are closely involved in destroying my praise and the like, also involved in protecting me from falling into the unfortunate realms. Yeah. So the people who criticize us are to be valued. They are helping us on the path. So why do we react so negatively against that? You can't criticize me. I don't have that problem. You're just projecting. It's all your projection. You're the one who really has that problem. Okay. What? What's? How come we don't? Uh, how come we can't see the benefit when it's right in front of us? 
because we still have worldly values deep inside. That attachment is attached. (laughs) So verse 100, I, who am striving for freedom, do not need to be bound by material gain and honor. So why should I be angry with those who free me from this bondage? So if I'm striving for the freedom of liberation, the freedom of full awakening, I don't need to be bound by material gain or by praise and honor and reputation because I'm seeking freedom from attachment to those things. Yeah. So if I'm seeking freedom from attachment to those things, why in the world do I bind myself to them? it's like what's it like it's like somebody who wants to stop smoking and be free of smoking who continually buys packages of cigarettes you know (laughs) you know why why should you buy packages why should you buy cigarettes if you don't want to be bound by them if you don't want to smoke So who am I striving for freedom? Yeah, I, no, it says I who am striving for freedom. I don't need to be bound by material gain and honor. Yeah, also material gain comes, comes, goes, goes. Yeah, honor, reputation, comes, comes, goes, goes. Yeah. I find it so amusing that, you know, every day there's new, some new poll about Biden, uh, Biden's popularity or Trump's popularity or these things. As if, you know, whatever the poll is today is what it's going to be tomorrow and the next day and by the time we get to, to 2024. And as if those polls means actually means somebody's good or somebody's bad. Yeah. Yet, oh, what's, the poll numbers went up, they went down. I mean, imagine, some people, I guess on Facebook, you have your own poll numbers. You know, you check how many thumbs like this and how many thumbs like this. Huh? And, you know, even the kids, I mean, in high school and grammar school, how many of them get so completely tormented by this and this. Ah, It's misery because they think that's important. Of course, their parents do too when it applies to the parents. They say to the kids, you don't need to listen to all of that. But then the parents look at their thumbs up and thumbs down. Okay, so I don't need to be bound by material gain and honor. So why should I be angry with those who free me from this bondage by criticizing me, by stealing my stuff, or ruining my reputation? When you think of it, 
Yeah? And I found, I found this very interesting and very productive to do in my practice. When I get criticized, instead of the instantaneous reaction of, you know, <laughs> is saying, oh, that's good. Yeah, I got criticized. That's really good for me. Yeah. And I deserve the criticism because I, you know, I do all sorts of things that are not becoming of a, of a Buddhist practitioner or of an ordinary sentient being. So why shouldn't I be criticized? Yeah, why not? Yeah, do you remember when one of our good friends got cancer? And at first, you know, he was sharing with us, why, why should I get cancer? And then he's a Buddhist practitioner, and he thought, well, why shouldn't I get cancer? I'm in samsara. So it's the same way, you know, with praise. Why shouldn't I get blamed? Why shouldn't my reputation get ruined? You know? I'm not the greatest thing on this earth. You know, close to it. <laughs> no, actually, not even close to it. Okay, so why should I be angry with those who free me from this bondage? Because they, you know, when we get criticized, it really shows us how inconsequential praise is. Yeah, because if praise really meant something, if it really had some value, if it really benefited us, then we wouldn't get so upset when we got the opposite. Because if we were really benefited and sustained by that praise and really believed in ourselves, then when people trash us, we wouldn't take it seriously. Okay, but it just shows us, you know, the more we, we don't like criticism, it shows how the more praise doesn't actually work. Yeah, is this making some sense to you? Yeah, because if praise worked, the criticism wouldn't bother us. Yeah. And, you know, so why should I be mad at the people who help my Dharma practice in this way by criticizing me? Yeah. They're actually helping. Yeah. They lessen my pride. They help me recover from my addiction to praise. So 101. Those who wish to cause me suffering are like Buddhas bestowing waves of blessing as they open the door for my not going to an unfortunate realm. Why should I be angry with them? Okay, so the people who wish to cause me suffering, yeah, by criticizing me, are actually like Buddhas bestowing waves of blessing because they're helping me to see the faults of my addiction to praise. Yeah, they're helping me see that I really need to learn to evaluate myself.
Yeah, they're helping me see that honor in society, you know, in society is like useless, doesn't really get you anything. So they're really like Buddhas bestowing waves of blessing. Yeah, and they open the door for my not going to the unfortunate realms. Yeah, because they're curing me of my addiction to praise. Yeah. So they're helping me not go to the lower realms by becoming distracted, by, you know, and because I would go to the lower realms if I were distracted, if I, uh, my disillusionment with samsara were undermined, if I envied those with good qualities. So these people are, you know, preventing me from going to the lower realms, preventing me from losing my Dharma perspective on life. Yeah, by showing me the faults of my addiction to samsara. So why should I be angry at them? Okay. They often use the example, if, you, if you're sick and you go to the doctor, the doctor may say, you need surgery. Yeah, and the surgery may hurt. But in the end, it's good for you. It cures you of the ailment that, that you had. And it prevents you, you know, possibly from dying. So why would you be angry at the at the doctor? Yeah, for causing pain or making you do something like that. They're actually benefiting. Yeah, so it's the same kind of 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 way of thinking. Okay, so time for my Italian story because it fits this verse. It really fits this verse. Okay, so once a time, once upon a time, there was some stupid nun who thought she didn't have a problem with anger. And her teacher sent her to, uh, uh, her first assigned job was to be the gegu, the disciplinarian for uh, the monks and in a certain Italian center. Okay, now anybody who has experience with um, Italian men knows there's a little bit of macho there. Yeah, just, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit of macho, you know. Okay, so, and then... Uh, there was another nun who was supposed to come who was going to be the spiritual program director, but she didn't come. So then I got that job too. And the people who were in the uh, uh, hierarchy in the center you know, that I worked with were men too. So in both situations. So, yeah, so this stupid nun thought I don't have a problem with uh, with anger and uh, then the, the, something very peculiar started to happen you know because she, she was really quite smart really had a good motivation a little bit stupid but not too much uh, but whenever she went to the meetings you know the uh, what do you call it? the community the uh, committee meetings for the people, 
you know, in her position as spiritual program director. Uh, the, they, she got criticized. Yeah. It was very strange. Why would she get criticized? But they, they kind of seemed to like pushing her buttons, you know? There was a certain, yeah, we'll test her out and see if she, if she has the, what is it? has what it takes, you know? I mean, I guess this is what the guys do in the army, you know? Or what, when you're rushing for, for to join a frat thing, you know? They test you to see if you have, what is it, brittle or metal? metal. Yeah, the metal to, to, to endure this. So they were going to test her out. Well... She had never actually been tested that way. Because she had always gotten, not always, but often gotten praise. Uh, so she got quite unhappy by, by that. Then, as her, in her role uh, as disciplinarian for the monks, can you imagine a woman being the disciplinarian of macho monks, you know, especially macho Italian monks, being the disciplinarian. Huh? Well, those monks didn't like that very much. So when it was time for morning puja, and they were still in bed, and she had to go and knock on their door to wake them up. Uh, they were not very happy. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, when, I mean, so many things happen. So, uh, you know, when, I guess I should go back to the first person telling the story. So, you know, so... I was also in charge of making sadhanas and things like that, and I would make them. And one time, uh, one of the, the people got so, he just didn't want, it was my job, but I wasn't supposed to do that, that he went to my desk and took my work away, so I didn't have it anymore, okay? On another occasion, uh, in front of a whole group of people, he told me I was the worst hindrance to this Dharma center that ever existed, and he was going to call our teacher immediately about it. Then there was another monk who I went into the, um, uh, the meditation hall to do my practice, told me that I should leave immediately because he was a monk and wasn't supposed to be in a room with a woman. Yeah, even the meditation hall. He wasn't be alone with a woman, okay? We were sitting in opposite corners of the meditation hall. I happened to talk to Lama after that and told him... Um, you know, that I was getting kicked out of various rooms because they weren't supposed to be alone with a woman. Um, and Lama said, where are they going to go where there's no women? <laughs> yeah. 
Lama didn't buy what they were saying, but of course they didn't know that. Um, what else happened? One community meeting, you know, committee meeting, uh, they especially uh, got on me. And I decided, okay, I'm tired of holding a stiff upper lip in this nonsense. And I just cried in front of them. Yeah. Didn't do any good. I thought, you know. <laughs> I thought, you know, okay, holding a stiff upper lip, lip doesn't work. Maybe crying would elicit some sympathy. No. Okay. One of the residents told me when I saw him years later that one of his strong memories of me being there was they had a big courtyard, you know, and I was going, walking very quickly across that courtyard with with um, Sam, the one who's, who really got on me, chasing me. <laughs> yeah. So this went on for a while. Okay. And, and my Dharma practice became, <laughs> well, this part wasn't my Dharma practice, but I would get angry in the daytime at my work, you know, because all I got was criticism. And then in the evening, I would go back and I would study this chapter. And I'd get myself calmed down. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'd go to, you know, my office the next day. And the same thing happened. And I'd get upset and angry. And then I would go in the evening, go and take out Shandy Deva chapter six and get calmed down. That's, I mean, that's how I learned this chapter. It was like, okay. So then at one point, it, got, it just got really bad. And I don't know how Lama had called the Institute or, or what it was, but I said to Lama, I said, Lama, can I leave? When I say Lama, it means Lama Yeshi. I said, Lama, can, can I leave here? They're sending me to the lower realms by making me create negative karma because I get angry. Okay, yeah. So she was very stupid. Yeah, I mean, thinking that way is completely stupid, isn't it? It's their fault that I'm creating negative karma and I'm going to go to the lower realms. Rescue me. So <laughs> Lama said, oh, we'll talk about it. I'll be there in six months. <laughs> oh, God. How am I going to make it, you know? So, so somehow I made it through those six months, and then he came, and I talked to him, and I said, please, can I leave, you know? And, uh, oh, and also what was happening at that time was my brother was getting married, and so I had gotten a phone call from my parents, who I hadn't heard from in three years because they had kicked me out when I went to get ordained. And um, when I heard somebody said, your mother's on the phone, I thought, oh, who died? You know, because I hadn't heard from So she wanted me to come home to, to my brother's wedding. So Lama said, yeah, you, you should go to your brother's wedding. And when you go there, you be California girl. 
And that was almost as bad as the criticism from the monks, because I was done being California girl. I did not want to do that. But it was the instructions of my teacher. Anyway, so I went there, and I was at the wedding, and all these other things happened. And then I went back to Nepal. <sighs> Finally, I'm home. So I go up to see Lama Zopa. You know, at that time, Copan, the, the roof was before they tore down the the gompas. The roof was flat, and you would go up and, and, you know, have tea with Rinpoche on the roof. And it was so peaceful looking around. I don't think, I haven't been back to Copan in many years. I don't think it's so peaceful in the neighboring area, probably all built up now. But anyway, so we're sitting there drinking tea, you know, and Lama Zopa looks at me. And, okay, so Sam, when I say Sam, it's not the real name, but it's the guy who was the director of the institute, you know, who gave me so much problem. So uh, so Rinpoche says to me, uh, who's kinder to you, the Buddha or Sam? What? <laughs> what? What do you mean, who's kinder to me, the Buddha or Sam? You know. So, of course, I said, the Buddha's kinder to me. Yeah. You know, the Buddha leads me on the path. The Buddha, you know, has my welfare foremost in his mind. The Buddha helps me. The Buddha's kinder to me. Sam is just the opposite. And Rinpoche just kind of, you know, looked at me like, haven't gotten it yet, kid. And uh, and then he went on to give me a whole Dharma talk about how Sam was kinder than the Buddha. And that's what this verse is about. Okay? Those who wish to cause me suffering are like Buddhas bestowing waves of blessing. So Sam, it was bestowing waves of blessing, which I couldn't see. Why was he, or how was he bestowing waves of blessing? He was opening the door for my not going to the an unfortunate realm. He was showing me that unbeknownst to me, I actually had quite a bad uh, uh, issue, quite a bad time with anger. Yeah. He showed me that I wasn't really as great as I thought I was. Um, And he showed me that I had absolutely no Dharma practice when it came to seeing the disadvantages of praise and honor, you know? that I was completely like a Neanderthal in that way. So, um, yeah, and so he, he went on and on about how kind Sam was to me, how beneficial Sam was to my practice, how much he helped me, how I should be grateful to him. I should, you know, what? it's so stupid to be angry at him because he helped me so much. Yeah. Oh, and Rinpoche gives you a Dharma talk. It's not a short one. <laughs> okay. On and on, I was like reeling at the end of this, like how in the world am I supposed to understand this? 
Yeah. So that was my quote, quote, koan to work on for a long time. And, uh, and I eventually really came to see the logic in that, you know, and how what my teacher told me was totally correct, even though it was very painful. But why is the truth painful? Yeah. I mean, Shanti Deva, you know, Rimache, they weren't lying to me. They're, they're, you know, Shanti Deva's trying to look out for us. But we hear the truth and then it's painful. Like, oh, oh, you mean all this, unfor- all this horrible stuff people are saying to me is good for me? Uh, you know, how does that work? Well, it it does, you know, if we practice the Dharma. If we don't practice the Dharma, then we say, oh, all this criticism is good for me, and I really am such a horrible, lousy, worthless person. Okay? So if we don't understand this correctly, then we use it as a weapon against ourselves. But if we use it correctly then we use the criticism as a weapon against our attachment and our arrogance and our anger and our ignorance. Okay, so it's very important to understand what these teachings are actually saying, what they actually mean, and who our actual enemy is. So our actual enemy is not ourselves. It's our self-grasping ignorance. It's the self-centered thought. So anybody who punctures those is doing me a favor. They're helping me destroy what actually harms me that I so foolishly think benefits me. Okay. Then, verse 102, self-cherishing thought, self-centered mind comes back with a response to what Shantideva is saying and says, but what if someone should obstruct my gaining merit? And that's exactly what I thought. Because these monks, even the ones who were junior to me, yeah, who thought they were better than me because they were men and I was, you know, they, you know, they obstructed my ability to gain merit because there were different situations, times to serve our teachers, time for different opportunities, and they would just run in and take them and I was, you know, not even in the picture, even though I was their disciplinarian. No appreciation. (laughs) Okay, so self-centered thought says, but what if someone should obstruct my gaining merit? I mean, I just want to have those same opportunities and create merit, yeah? And they're just, you know, We're men, you know. Okay, then, what does Shantideva respond? 
With them, too, it is incorrect to be angry. For since there is no fortitude, you know, or no virtue similar to fortitude, surely I should put it into practice. Okay, so fortitude is a great virtue. Uh So if I'm saying, you know, those people are interfering with my ability to create merit, Shantideva is saying, but you have a wonderful opportunity to create merit because there's no virtue like fortitude. Yeah, and you can't practice fortitude without somebody harming you. So don't say that you don't have an opportunity to create merit. These people are giving you a wonderful opportunity to create merit by practicing fortitude. So let them have what they what they're getting arrogant about, you know, with their privilege. You have the opportunity to practice fortitude. Our self-centered thought does not like to hear that. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's wrong? They could have the opportunity to practice fortitude once in a while, too. (laughs) Why does this opportunity to create the great virtue of fortitude only come to me? Yeah. Yeah. Why shouldn't I share that with them? Okay. But... For since there is no virtue similar to fortitude, surely I should put fortitude into practice. Yeah? If I don't put fortitude into practice, what's the alternative? What's going to happen? I'm going to get angry. Create negative karma. Fall to the lower realms. A long time. And it continues the habit. I mean, you're just getting yourself... Continue the habit and create a scene whereby other people are going to look at me and say, she is so disrespectful and has a big problem with anger. Because if I got mad at them, yeah, that's what other people would think of me. Again, a little bit of sexism here. If men get angry, they're standing up for what's right. If women get angry, I won't repeat the words that they call us because we're not allowed to. We're supposed to be sweet. Okay, but, you know, anger creates problems in groups of people. You know, sexism or no sexism, if I, you know exploded and started shouting and screaming. I'm not a shouter and screamer, but if you know how I show it, I am snide. And yeah, and I am really um I just say it sarcastic. Yeah, but because I think sarcasm is funny, but a lot of people don't like it. Yeah, they don't see the humor in sarcasm. At least my sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they think my sarcasm is nasty. 
Well, maybe a little bit. But that's because they deserve it. Okay, so, you know, that's the way the mind thinks. And, uh, yeah, so there's no virtue like fortitude. Got to practice that. Yeah, because otherwise you're miserable. And you do things, stupid things that create your mis- more misery for yourself in this life and more misery for yourself in future lives. Yeah. Okay, so that, so what the self-centered mind said there, but what if somebody should obstruct me from gaining merit? Surely my anger is justified then. No, it's not. <laughs> You're just harming yourself. 103. If due to my own failings, I am not patient with this enemy, then it is only I who am preventing myself from practicing this cause for gaining merit. So that's kind of what I just said. If due to my own failings, I can't, you know, subdue my own anger, and I'm not patient with these enemies, then it's only me who's preventing myself from practicing fortitude, which is such an incredible opportunity to create merit. So if I'm not creating merit, who's preventing me from creating merit? Not them, my own anger. Plus, my anger is going to be destroying my own merit. So, uh, in the Vinaya, and also, I think, in the Bodhisattva vow, they talk about four austerities. Okay, so, and these are not the ones of sleeping under a tree and living on alms round and, uh, you know, using cow's pee for medicine, and it's not those four, okay? The four austerities, yeah. Not getting angry when others are angry at you. Not returning anger with anger. Not criticizing those who criticize you. Not insulting the people who insult you. And not beating or hitting the people who beat or hit you. In other words, not retaliating when people are angry, when they criticize, when they insult, or when they hit you or strike you. Okay? And these are called four austerities. Because an austerity is a practice where you have to give up some pleasurable thing or give up something that's going to cause you discomfort by giving it up. Yeah? But these are called, you know, the four austerities that a Buddhist practitioner should should really practice. Because if we don't practice them, yeah, then we just look like, we act like ordinary beings and, of course, it harms us, and then the people who look at us uh, as Dharma practitioners are going to say, oh, what value does Dharma have? Look how that person's acting. 
Yeah, and then other people lose faith in the efficacy of the Dharma. They think the Buddhist teachings don't work. Okay? So if it, if due to my own failings, you know, of not being able to practice these four austerities, because I want justice. Yeah? It's interesting. We've got to look at our concept of justice. If they are angry at me, it's okay for me to get angry back. If they criticize me, I should criticize them back. If they insult me, I should insult them back. If they hit me, I should hit them back. Yeah. And if they hit me, I can even shoot them and claim self-defense and have nothing bad happen to me at all. Okay? So you can really see how, you know, these four are incredible austerities and how they actually um, create the causes for happiness, not the causes of pain. Okay? One oh four. If without it something does not occur, and with and if with it uh, that something does come to be, then since this enemy would be the cause of fortitude, how can I say that the enemy prevents it? So if without Let's get this straight here. <laughs> if without um, fortitude, creating merit does not occur, and if with fortitude, fortitude, the creation of merit does occur, then since this enemy of anger would be the cause of fortitude, how can I say that the enemy prevents it? Or let's try it. If without it, let's say if without anger, something does not occur. Okay, let's try it instead of using fortitude. Use If without anger, creating merit does not occur. And if, or no, without harm coming to me, harm or criticism coming to me, uh, my practicing fortitude and creating merit does not occur. But with receiving harm and criticism, my practice of fortitude and creating merit does, does occur. Then since this enemy of people who are attacking me in one way or another would be the cause of my practice of fortitude and the creation of merit, how can I say that this person, my enemy who's harming me, is uh, prevents my creation of merit? I can't. Yeah. Because without them, I wouldn't be able to create merit. Okay. The next verse really explains this very well. 105. Okay, because we keep thinking that this person who harms us is preventing us from creating merit. 
Yeah. So the 104 is saying, no, they're, they're, they're giving us the opportunity to create merit. So we keep thinking, you know, that person is enemy. So then Shantideva says, a beggar is not an obstacle to generosity. So generosity is a virtue. If there's a beggar, they're giving you the opportunity to create the merit of generosity. So they're helping you. Okay. When I give, uh, a beggar is not an obstacle to generosity. When I am giving something away and I cannot, a beggar, and let me read this properly. A beggar is not an obstacle to generosity when I am giving something away. And I cannot say that those who give ordination are an obstacle to becoming ordained. Okay. So this verse is saying, yeah, if that's the case, a beggar doesn't hurt me, harm me from um, creating the, the virtue of generosity. In fact, they give me the opportunity to create that virtue. And the, uh, the person who ordains us an obstacle is not an obstacle to uh, becoming ordained. They're giving us the opportunity to be ordained and to create that virtue. Okay, so the message here is then how could uh, somebody who's harming us, who we call an enemy, uh, how could they be an obstacle to our creating virtue? Yeah? Is it making some sense to you? Yeah? Because they're giving us, they're creating the situation. Yeah. And that was the whole thing Rinpoche was trying to tell me, you know, when we were having tea in that idyllic setting, was he's, and he's actually said to me, he said, you need Sam. Yeah. <laughs> My mind was going, I need Sam like I need a hole in the head, you know. Like, you need Sam. Because how else are you going to practice fortitude? And you need to practice fortitude to become a Buddha. Because there's no such thing as an angry Buddha. Yeah, Buddha doesn't get angry no matter how people treat him. So if you want to be a Buddha, you got to do something with your anger. Fortitude's the way to do it. The person who gives you the opportunity to do that is a helper. They're not an enemy. Okay, just like the beggar is not an enemy to my creating the, the virtue of generosity, yeah, and the person, my preceptor, is not my enemy in creating uh, the virtue of, of being ordained and keeping precepts. Okay. Okay, Let this few minutes for Q&A. So um, the criticism, you know, if we started criticism, um, we're not practicing fortitude. So it's not like we should go around offering people a chance to create merit by criticizing right. a bunch of people. So, uh, yeah, so I think actually, I understand that correctly. That's actually coming in. Yeah. in, in, in oh, okay. Yeah, he points that out, you know. Yes, I should be able to criticize them and give them the same opportunity. 
<laughs> so, and we can't stop people from praising us either. So when we do get praise, what would be an example of practicing not attaching to that? Or, or okay. what do we do with that? With that praise. So you visualize the Buddha either above the crown of your head or in your heart center, and the, that person's praise is directed to the Buddha. And if you look at it, that makes a lot of sense because any good qualities we have it come from practicing the Buddha's teachings. So any praise we receive should go to the Buddha unless they're praising us for how good we are at deceiving other people. <laughs> yeah, which some people get praised for, you know, but the, the actual praise. Yeah, you think it goes to the Buddha. And they say the same thing if you're, when you're a monastic, when people bow to you, you don't think, oh, well, I'm special, they're bowing to me. You think there's the Buddha here, that they're bowing to the Buddha. You know, and you rejoice at their virtuous state of mind. You don't get all puffed up. Yeah. And if you don't know what to do with the... Because uh, another obstacle we have sometimes is we, um, we get praised and then we feel like, you know, oh, I've got to say no. I've got to, you know, I don't deserve that praise. So somebody praises us. And then we go, oh, no, 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 I'm, I didn't do that, I didn't, that. it's somebody else, um, don't praise me. And actually, that's like somebody giving us a gift, and we're saying, I don't want your trashy gift. You know, you're lying, you're praising me, you're, you're mistaken, because actually you don't know, but I'm worthless, so don't praise me. Yeah, any of you do that? People praise you, oh, no, 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 it's somebody else. And the more you say, no, I don't deserve the praise, the more it's making the other person say it again and again, trying to get you to accept it. So in one way, it's inflating you, and the other way, you're rejecting it. Okay? So I, I once asked one of my Dharma friends, <coughs> You know, what he does when he gets praised, especially, you know, when you're giving talks, Dharma talks. And he said, you say, thank you. Duh. You know, because when you say thank you, you're, you're acknowledging that somebody has a virtuous state of mind, that they saw something good. Yeah. You're giving that praise to the Buddha. And when you say thank you, you're accepting their gift, and then they don't have to repeat it again and again and again so that we can hear that praise more and more and more because every time we reject it, they have to say it again. Okay, you just say thank you, and then it stops. Yeah? It's like sometimes when people criticize us, if we say, yeah, I did that, I was wrong. Then it stops. But people criticize us. No, I didn't do that. You know, I, didn't, I wouldn't do that. You're projecting, you're exaggerating. It was so-and-so over there who did that. Yeah. 
instead of just, you know, and so then that makes the person who's giving us feedback, then they have to repeat it again and again and again because we're not accepting it. Whereas if, you know, we have that, if we did that, yeah, I did that. (laughs) Am I going to say I didn't do it if I did it? Yeah, I did that. I was rude. Yeah. Or I put the spatula in the wrong place. Even though I knew that you would not be able to find it. And that gave, that really made me kind of pleasurable. To me with a spatula. <laughs> a, a comment that the verses today was bringing to mind is, you know, I've been in an environment before, maybe similar to the situation in Italy, uh-huh. um, where there's... In particular, there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of very forceful people. And at the time, I thought, oh, great, this will teach me to be tough. And I saw a lot of other women navigating similar situations where it's like they learn to be tough. They learn to yell back and to look at that and see like, okay, so that was just reinforcing anger. Maybe I go and cry in the bathroom later, but, you know, still, and thinking of it as virtuous. So I really appreciate these verses from Shanti Deva showing like there is a value in learning how to exist in that situation rather than hide from it or avoid it. But, but what one needs to do is learn how to practice patience and not just retaliate. Right. Yeah. And practicing patience doesn't mean you blame yourself when they criticize and they do all that. You develop the ability to evaluate yourself. If you make a mistake, you admit it. If you didn't, you don't sit there and blame yourself and put yourself down and become a little worm in front of them. You know, there's a way of practicing patience and maintaining your dignity without retaliating. Yeah, it's difficult. Because, you know, one part of you wants to cringe. But, you know, if you can stay there, you know, they're doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And uh, it's just reminding me of, I asked one of the Bhikshuni guides at the Four Nation, Tiger Mother, how they were trained in the past. ah. But she said, you know, the the teacher would ask you a question and no matter what you answered, you got hit. Whether you were right or wrong. Uh, and it was a way to train you in this kind of fortitude, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, initially, I was just like, I don't really understand the story. <laughs> but oh. you can see in the Chinese tradition that there's so much um, scolding. Mm-hmm. And you can't retaliate. I mean, you, like, you won't. It's, it's, this is your teacher or kind people. And they're trying to help you with your afflictions. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But it's a struggle when it's happening, too. Yeah, yeah. And even if you answer the right thing, if they scold you, they're trying to keep you from being conceited. Yeah? So they're actually benefiting in that way. Instead of saying, oh, you're the star student. I'm so happy to have you in my class. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's actually learning us you know, that, that's a way of, quote, quote, becoming tough. Yeah, not that you bleh, back 
but you learn to keep your, your own confidence. You learn to keep your own dignity. Yeah. And then they're the one that's stuck there yelling and screaming and creating a scene. Uh, thank you. How how can you recognize like a like a red line when the criticism implies like a psychological uh, damage or uh, something negative? No, because when you are in that situation every day with the time, especially when you are in the worldly mm. you know, routine, uh, there is like a imprint or mm -hmm. something that could be dangerous yeah. uh, for you. you. You mean like if as a result uh, of somebody criticizing you, you start thinking something is wrong with you? Yeah, like a risky zone in, term, in terms of uh, psychological. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, the whole point of this thing is that we have to learn to evaluate ourselves. And when we can do that well, then we can identify our virtues and accept them without getting conceited. And we can identify our, our faults and our problems without falling, without losing our self-confidence. Because we know we have the Buddha nature. We know there's methods that exist to, to counteract this and to improve. So there's no reason to, to uh, lose our self-confidence. Yeah? So this, this is really the, the answer to the whole thing, is developing some realistic way of evaluating and assessing ourselves so that we don't get excited, uh, uh, arrogant and so we don't lose our self-confidence. Yeah, because as long as we don't have that ability, then whatever somebody says about us, we believe, and we, oh, praise, <laughs> criticism, oh. five minutes later, praise, oh. five minutes later, oh, criticism, you know? And, uh, yeah, and our life is really miserable. Okay? Yeah, so even, you know, nowadays it's quite popular to uh, psychoanalyze people. You know, we're not psychologists, we're not uh, psychiatrists, but hey, what does it matter, you know? Like, uh, oh, you're passive-aggressive and, and you're um, uh, yeah, borderline and you're... Uh, yeah, officional, uh, yeah, oppositional defiance disorder. Yeah, it means you're a kid who likes to run around. <laughs> You know, and there's so many diagnoses and people throw them around and, you know, accuse each other of having all sorts of psychological problems. And those people who are doing that, you know, don't, you know, they're, they're not professionals. It's just, you know, yeah. And, and so we, you know, okay, somebody says to us, yeah, you have oppositional defiance disorder. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine somebody, you know, say, oh, you're passive-aggressive. Mm, okay, tell me more. 
you're, then you're not playing their game. Yeah? Because he realized what they're saying. It's words. It's not who you are. And so you don't play the game by either getting mad at them back or by, you know, slunking away as, you know, somebody who's worthless. Huh? Yeah, tell me more. Well, you're so stupid. You don't know where to put the spatula in this community and our harmony depends on it. Okay, some of you don't know the joke, but a while ago, (laughs) yeah, somebody lived here. And, you know, wherever the tools in the kitchen uh, were, you know, she arranged everything perfectly. Everything was in order. And if you put something away when you're cleaning, you know, putting away the dry dishes where it didn't belong, yeah, like a spatula, and it wasn't in the same place. Boom! You know. Don't you know where this spatula goes? Everybody in the kitchen is putting things in the wrong place. Yeah. Yeah, you look terrified. That's the way many people reacted towards her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you just stood there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, show me where to put the spatula. And she'll show you. <laughs> and you won't forget. <laughs> yeah. But you don't need to get all bent out of shape about it. Yeah. Okay. So we'll stop here. That person actually had quite a soft, loving heart. When you got to know her, she really was so kind. But you just had to, you know, see behind that front. 